This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Good morning. If you're joining us online, we're super glad that you are. If you're here live, we're so grateful. Have you ever been in a moment in your life where you just feel like, my odds of making a mistake are high. If you're in a situation and you're like, gosh, I kind of feel like if I go this way, I might mess it up. If I say this, I might mess it up. I think this is certainly true in marriage. Uh, anyone that's been married any amount of time, certainly true, those moments exist. This Tuesday, Claire and I celebrate 25 years of marriage. And... Uh, it has been mostly awesome most of the time, mostly because of Claire. And so, um, but there's definitely moments where you're like, I think I might make a mistake here. Uh, the question, you know, you might, guys, your wife might say to you, uh, do you think, pointing at another lady, do you think my hair would look good like hers? <laughs> well, and if you say an eager yes, then it's like, well, man, do you think she's hot? What's going on? If you say no, then it's like, well, why couldn't I pull that off? Am I not pretty enough to pull off hair like you're just, it's a no win. It's a, the chances of a mistake are high. Another question. If something happened to me, if I died, would you remarry? E quick yes. It's like, have you been thinking about this? Do you have someone in mind? But a no, it's like, well, don't you love being married? Because statistically men who love being married tend to remarry pretty quick. Again, it's you're not going to succeed there and maybe the scariest of all the questions. Does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> if you say a yes, you need to quickly leave the home. <laughs> if you think about it more than 10 seconds and ask for the spin around, well, hey, look, can you spin around for me and I'll let you. Also should leave the home. You're on the verge of making a mistake. And it might be true that the only th thing that's easier to, to make a mistake with uh, than in our, the things we say and do in our marriage might be our thoughts about God. And I think most specifically, probably the, the person of the Godhead that we most quickly make mistakes with is the Holy Spirit. We're in this series uh, in the book of Acts, and we've talked over and over again, the primary character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. So we're doing a little mini-series talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the well-respected pollster who does church research, George Barna said this, get this, nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend a Christian church. So we're not talking about once or twice a year people. We're talking about three or four times a month people. People who regularly attend church. Say, get this. Say there's no such thing as an actual Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity. A.W. Tozer says, wrote that when the average Christian thinks about the Holy Spirit, quote, he's likely to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they die. 
The Holy Spirit, it, 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 it's very easy to make mistakes. And our thoughts about the Holy Spirit, how we approach the Holy Spirit, and our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to share with you the four biggest mistakes I think we make about the Holy Spirit. Here's the first mistake, the Star Wars mistake. Do we have any big Star Wars fans? Any big Star Wars fans? Check out this uh, quick little video. Some people have watched so much Star Wars and grew up in a liturgical church that when someone says, may the force be with you, they almost want to reply back and say, and with your spirit. That's, uh, if you didn't grow up in a liturgical church, it doesn't work for you. Not going to use that second service. And so, uh, <laughs> but some people think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force. They think of, of the Holy Spirit as like the force. And, and here's the truth. He is a person, not a force. He is a person, not a force. And, and some people, and I, I, it was funny, I was listening to, to a, a message a while back, and this pastor was talking about the Holy Spirit, and, and about 80% of the time that he talked about the Holy Spirit, he referred to the Holy Spirit as an it. If your instinct is to call the Holy Spirit an it, then you're falling into the Star Wars mistake, where you're seeing the Holy Spirit as a force or a power, not as a person. He is a he, not an it. If you have your Bibles, look at John 15, verse 26. Jesus said it this way, talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, when the advocate comes, or helper, or counselor, or encourager, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, what does he say? He will testify about me. So don't fall into the Star Wars mistake of thinking of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, or simply as a power. He is a person. He, we, how do we know? Well, Jesus says he's a he. We see that he speaks, and, and there's no, in the book of Acts, we see uh, in, in this book more than any other place, the Holy Spirit's talked about, but we see the Holy Spirit acting as a person more clearly than in any other book of the Bible. Acts 13, 2, I'm just going to read a bunch of these. We see the Holy Spirit speaks. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them forces don't speak. He speaks. We see that the Holy Spirit is to be obeyed. We see in Acts 10, 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said, so the Spirit speaks again, said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with me, for I have sent them. So we see the Holy Spirit speaks, and he's commanding obedience. He says, do this and do it now, the Holy Spirit's to be obeyed. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. If, if you're, it, it's, it's a person that, that can be lied to. It's, it's not a force, some impersonal, nebulous thing. He can be lied to, Acts 5.3. Then we have these, this Ananias and Sapphira, fascinating story, Acts 5.3. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. He can be lied to. He can be resisted. We see in Acts 7, 5, it says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. Why? How? You always 
resist the Holy Spirit. You can hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings. He can be grieved. We see in Ephesians 4.30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You say, well, how do you do that? If you read the surrounding verses there, a big way we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we hurt people and the way in which we speak and the way in which we practice unforgiveness and these things. So don't fall into the Star Wars mistake. Thinking of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force. Recognize that he is a person who wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to help you. He, he is a person to be known. Don't fall into the Star Wars mistake. Here's the second big mistake we make. This is the easy mistake. It's the mistake you might make and not even mean to make. It's misunderstanding the nature of the Trinity. Uh, here's the fact. The Trinity is probably maybe the most complex difficult to understand concept in the Bible. It's this idea of one God who has eternally existed as three persons. One God who has eternally existed in three persons and Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son and the Father is not the Holy Spirit and the Son is not the Father and the Son is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son, yet these three are one and are one in essence and nature. This three in one, it will blow your mind. It is beyond comprehension. We see it in a handful. We see this concept. We never see the word Trinity in the Bible. But we see this concept of God eternally existing in three distinct persons. We, we see this concept both in the Old and in the New Testament. So in Jesus, in talking about the Holy Spirit coming, it, it, we see that how, we, how we would find our minds blown because of the way Jesus is talking. He says, John chapter 14 and verse 16 he says, and I will ask the Father. So we see this distinction. Distinction: The Son is talking to the Father. And he will give you another advocate, helper, counselor, encourager, comforter. So we, have, so we see this distinction. I will ask the Father. He will send another to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So, so Jesus makes this clear distinction between himself and the Father. He's going to ask the Father. And then there's this distinction between the Father, between the Father and the Spirit. He will send the Spirit. But now we see this oneness piece. And, and Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who is a different person of the Godhead than me. But it, when he comes, it's like I'm coming. He says, I'll be with you. Then we see verse 23, Jesus replied, and he who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And so Jesus is saying that, that there's a distinction between him and the father and him and the spirit. But when the spirit comes, there is this sense in which the father and the son have also come. If I'm the disciples and I'm hearing this, I'm saying, Jesus, can you just back up and repeat that more slowly? 
Can you say it more slowly? And can you say it four different ways? Because I don't know about you, but that whole, it kind of blows your mind a little bit. This idea of three persons, eternally existing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, separate, and, and that the Father's not the Son, the Father's not the Spirit, that the Son's not the Father or the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father or the Son, but, but still one, in essence, still one God. It, it's easy to make mistakes about this. In fact, most images that we start talking about to try to explain it, you end up kind of bordering on some sort of heresy because it really does blow your Mind And so just a couple of points of clarity. So we're not talking about three gods, some, some uh, non-orthodox Christian sects, sects, it's a weird word to say, um, S-E-C-T-S, that hold non-orthodox beliefs about the Trinity. They, they would say that, uh, they, they would say, well, really it's three gods living as a little God family. And, and that's, that's polytheism, that's not, that's a heresy. And so it's, it's, it's not that. It's not three gods living as a God family. It's, it's not one God in three modes. It's, it's not, uh, and so there are so, some groups that, that, that take the name of, of Christ that, that, that hold to a heresy called modalism. And the big idea of that is in the Old Testament, uh, God manifests himself as the Father. And in the New Testament, God manifests himself as the Son, Jesus. And, and, in, the, and in our day, that, that God manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. And so they wouldn't say that there's one God who has eternally existed in three persons, they'd say there is one God who throughout history has manifested three different personalities. So it's not modalism. It's not polytheism. It's like we said before, it's, it's not just seeing the Holy Spirit as this God force. We have this idea, one God, three persons. It's easy to make mistakes about the nature of the Trinity because it's the, the Trinity really is beyond us. Listen, I, I have, uh, I, I, I love Claire. She is my very best friend. There's no one I'd rather spend time with. But for me to say, after 25 years of marriage, I fully understand her. It would be overstating it. And here's the thing. If I can't understand my wife, why would I think that I'm going to fully comprehend the complexities of the Godhead? Here, here is how... Uh, John Wesley said it. He said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man. And then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. There's something that in our, in our nature where we're uncomfortable with mystery. And we have this, this idea that we should be able to have a chart that helps us understand all the things. But, but, but when it comes to understanding the complexities of, of the triune God, that it, it is beyond us. And so we don't have to fully comprehend how the Trinity all works and what all that it means for one God, three persons, eternally existing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't have to fully understand all that. But I will say this, to deny the Trinity is a dangerous place to be. It's been said this way, the 66 books of the Bible present God the Father most prominently as our creator. 
God the Son, most prominently as our Savior, and God the Holy Spirit, most prominently as the one who takes what Jesus did and applies it to our lives. Someone else said it this way. You, you might think of God the Father as God for us. God the Son as God with us, Emmanuel. And God the Holy Spirit as God in us. But it's easy to make mistakes when it comes to thinking about the Trinity. Here's the third mistake. The most exhausting mistake the most exhausting mistake you can possibly make as a Christian is trying to live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. We see in John 14, 16, he says, it says in the English Standard Version, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So if Jesus says, that I'm sending you a helper. What does that mean? We need help. We need help. We need help to live the Christian life. And so what happens is, is when Christians try to live the Christian life without the help, the power of the Holy Spirit, one of two or three things happens. One is they have a substandard view of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And they don't even recognize that the Christian life is, is difficult because they're not trying to live the Christian life. They're just living like everybody else. I'm not talking about them. Those people aren't exhausted. They're just living like everybody else. But if you seek to live the, this book and seek to live the life of Jesus and, and, and seek, the, and you're doing it without the Holy Spirit, you're, one of two things is gonna be true. Chances are you're gonna go through life feeling defeated and like you're failing and exhausted and like you're just not doing it because you're probably not. You, you may very well just be going through life feeling like, man, no matter how hard I try, I can't love. And no matter how hard I try, I can't forgive. And no matter how hard I try, I'm just, I just can't, I can't hold onto my possessions loosely. I'm just, I just want to hold on to my things. And, and no matter how hard I try, was, I, 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 can't, I can't engage God's work. All these things. And, and, and you're going through life just feeling like a failure and feeling exhausted and feeling like it's not working if you're doing it in your own strength because you were never meant to, you were never able to. Now, some people... Are, are, are just very self-disciplined by temperament. It's not the Holy Spirit. You were just born that way. You were just a rule keeper. Anyone here born a rule keeper? I don't know about you, but I, I find that you get one kid like that if you have a bunch of kids. You get one. And, and some people are just rule keepers by nature. And you might have the ability to just externally look like you're doing all the right things because you're good at doing stuff and keeping rules. And so what happens to those people doing, living out Christian type things and living a moral life and checking the boxes and, and serving and giving and doing all the things you know to do. I grew up in this church and, and uh, the, the external rules and regulations were heavily reinforced from a very early age. To the point where at the beginning of every month, they sent offering envelopes to every family in the church, which wasn't terribly uncommon in that moment. Um, 
But they also went beyond just sending offering envelopes to, uh, to mom and dad. They sent one for every child. They were going to raise up some givers for day one. And on that offering envelope, it had a little checkbox, little six checkboxes. Did you read your Bible daily, Jack? And so I'm like seven years old, and I'm just checking all the boxes whether I've done anything or not. Because I knew I wanted to look awesome, you know? Bible read daily, and, and did you bring a friend? And I'm looking around, I was like, well, that guy's my friend, and I'm just checking it. And, and, uh, and some of you are wired to check boxes. But what happens to religious people trying to do the right stuff without the Holy Spirit's power, most people fail and feel tired and frustrated and constantly feel guilty because you're so bad at it. Or the people that are just good box checkers, rule keepers, they begin to feel prideful and self-righteous and judgmental. Well, look at all that I'm doing and why aren't they doing all that? And gosh, those people sure suck so bad and I hope they go to hell. Some, there's church people, like, church people like that. If you've never met one, you might be one. And uh, <laughs> it's, so you either are trying to live the Christian life. We're gonna talk more about this next week. Uh, but in Ephesians 5, 18, let me just show you this real quick. We're gonna unpack this verse a little more next week. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. He says, don't get drunk you will do stupid things. If you don't know if that's true, listen to country music. <laughs> says He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about this next week, but the implication is if you drink enough alcohol, that alcohol begins to control you. You begin to do things you might not do if you weren't quite so drunk. I think they call it liquid courage. You begin to see people through a different lens than you would if you weren't drunk. I read this study. It says, well, why do people think other people are more attractive when they're drunk? <laughs> and it was talking about how when you drink enough, it'll do something to your vision. Where you no longer notice the asymmetrical features in other people's faces. So that person at 7 o'clock you thought was ugly. At 9 o'clock, you're like, not so bad. And by midnight, you think you're looking at a supermodel. Because <laughs> alcohol can give you short-term courage you didn't have, cause you to look at people differently than you would sober. And, but the implication is you drink enough alcohol, that alcohol begins to control you. And the idea is that as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to control you, and you're going to have some courage that you might not have had without him and you'll begin to see people in ways that you wouldn't without him. That's really the context here. He says, Ephesians 5, 18, don't read drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, says speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna outline a whole bunch of relationships that the only way that you can live out these relationships marked by submission, marked by each person putting the other person first, he says the only way you can do that, 
You can't do that in your own strength. And you can't do that in your own power. You might be able to muster it up for a short period of time, but, but, it, but long term, you can't, you can't live like this in your own strength. And so you're gonna find yourself exhausted without walking in a daily awareness of that you need this helper that Jesus has sent for you and you need him to fill you and control you and empower you. And so it's a great prayer to pray just regularly. Just Holy Spirit, I need you today. Fill me, help me, empower me and control me. Here's the last mistake. The last mistake we make in regards to the Holy Spirit is the life or death mistake. See, the Holy Spirit, we, we, think, of our, we, we think that Jesus saves us alone. And, and, and definitely Jesus died for us, rose from the dead. He paid the price for us. But salvation involves every member of the Godhead. The Father is involved. We, we see unpacked in the letters of Paul. We, we see Jesus clearly died in our place, rose from the dead. But you know, it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And we see all these different ways that the Holy Spirit is profoundly involved in your salvation. And so the life or death mistake we make is resisting the Holy Spirit's work and him saving us. We, we, see, we see it over and over. Well, how, does the Holy, how is the Holy Spirit involved in, in your salvation? One, he convicts you. If you came to a spot where, where, where you, you, you just, there was something inside of you that said, I, I need Jesus more than I need air. I need Jesus more, more than, than, than I need water. I, I, I need to be born again. If there was something inside you that, that felt like the most true thing you had ever heard, that was the Holy Spirit convicting you of your need for Jesus. That's what Jesus said, John 16 said. He said, tell you the truth, it's good. for your good I'm going, and lay, going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And what's he gonna do? When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. If your eyes were open, even if you lived a pretty moral life, even if you were an Eagle Scout, you were pretty proud of yourself, but there was a moment where you realized that compared to a holy God, that you were desperately sinful and could never save yourself, no matter how hard you tried, that you needed Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit that caused you to see that because our instinct without the Holy Spirit is when someone, when someone says, well, you need Jesus. Our instinct as proud people without the Holy Spirit say, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. And your instinct, when I say you're a sinful, you're, you're a sinner who, de who, who deserves a lake of fire, your instinct is to say, well, who the heck do you think you are? I'm better than my neighbor. He's been cheating on his wife for 10 years. I hadn't done that. That's our instinct is to say, well, I don't need anybody and I'm not so bad. But it's the Holy Spirit that awakens us to that apart from the grace of God, I am a wretch who is separated from a holy God who deserves to, to a lake of fire forever. It's the Holy Spirit that causes that reality to come. If that reality's been made for, for, for you, that was the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us it's the Holy Spirit that makes us born again. John 3, 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He says, verily I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless they are born again. And then Nicodemus asks a fair question. How can someone be born when they are old? He's trying to imagine all the, how all the, all the biology of that, full-grown man being reborn, how does all that happen? Nicodemus asks, now he's gonna make it even more real for us. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Fair questions. Jesus answered, verily, truly, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty clear what it means to be born of the Spirit. What does it mean to be born of water? Christians interpret this word water one of two ways. Some would say being born of water is a reference to the baptismal water. We're baptizing on, on July, uh, a couple of weeks, July 31st, that class next week. If you've not made the choice after, after giving your life to Christ, not gone public with the difference that Jesus has made in your life, getting baptized, that's a great opportunity. It's our first step in obedience. Some people believe that water is speaking of the baptismal water. I tend to believe that Jesus is talking about natural birth, like when a mom's water breaks. Natural birth is what I think he's probably, but I'm not, I wouldn't uh, wager more than $100 on that. <laughs> they are, and it's $100 of Scott Rhoda's money. That's who it is. And so uh, they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is everyone born of the Spirit. So, so the Holy Spirit actually makes us born again. He's the agent of the new birth. He's intricately engaged in our salvation. He ensures our security. Ephesians 1.13, we're gonna wrap this up in about four minutes. Ephesians 1.13 says this. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, at the moment we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And what Paul here is saying is what happens there is we're being marked with a seal. Back then, people used a seal, like a, a, a king's seal, a governor's seal to, to make things secure. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says it this way, a seal denoted ownership and authenticity. This thereby, this thereby guaranteed the protection of the owner. See, the seal says, says this, is, this, this, this belongs to me. And so if, if a king places his seal on something, nobody would mess with it. If it says, do not come on this land by order of the king with the king's seal, everyone would know this is the king making his claim. I'm not going to mess with this by penalty of death. It was, it was a mark of ownership and protection. It would be someone saying, this is mine. And so the Holy Spirit living inside of us, it's this seal, it's, it's God saying, saying that he is mine, she is mine, she belongs to me. It's a mark of authenticity, it's a mark of ownership, protection. But then he says, and, and our deposit, our other translations say, your earnest money. If you think about the last time you bought a house, 
and you're buying a house, and let's say that the house is $600,000, which means you bought it two or three years ago. <laughs> and you're saying, I want to buy this house. And you know, if you're selling the house, you know the more earnest money they put down, the more serious they are. And so if someone says, well, I'm going to put down 1%, I'm going to give you $6,000, and if I, if, I don't, don't, if I bail out for any sort of, uh, of reason that, that's not in, spelled out here in this contract, I lose my six grand. But if someone says, I'm going to put down uh, 5%, I'm going to put down $30,000, you're, you're saying, well, they're more serious about this. But imagine if someone's buying your house, and in the earnest money they, they put down, they say, my life. If I don't buy this house, you can kill me. You're like, I think they really mean it. Pretty sure this house, is, this deal's gonna close. And so for God to put himself as the earnest money, his spirit living inside of us. He's saying, this, this deal's gonna go through. You, you belong to me. This is a mark of ownership and authenticity, but it's a mark of security. You belong to me forever. Next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more about this, the Holy Spirit and, and the, the role of, uh, in our salvation, talking more specifically about how he transforms us and about how he sanctifies us. But why don't we pray together for a minute? Maybe just in the quietness of where you're at. Maybe we would all just pray. I think we could all pray. Asking the Father to cause the, the Holy Spirit, the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit, all of who he is, all of what he wants to do in our lives, that he would be becoming more real in our lives each day. And maybe you'd even just say, say, Holy Spirit, I just confess I, I desperately need you. And maybe you, you've fallen into the trap I think we all fall into, I know I do sometimes, of trying to live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit, our helper. Listen, you can't love people that are hard to love long-term without the help of the Holy Spirit. And you can't forgive people that have deeply hurt you repeatedly without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't have joy and worship on your lips when life is hard without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't have contentment in moments of difficulty without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't live a life that people become curious about, that lead to meaningful, life-giving gospel conversations without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so may, maybe, maybe you just confess to God and say, Father, I've, I've been guilty of trying to live the life of a follower of Jesus and my own strength. And, and maybe that's caused you to feel exhausted or maybe that's caused you to feel filled with shame just because you keep messing it up. Or maybe it's caused you just to feel discouraged or feel like you just want to give up. 
Or maybe you're so good at white knuckling it and checking the boxes. But because of that, you've become self-righteous and prideful and judgmental. And maybe you just say, say Father, would, would you fill me afresh with your spirit? Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh and empower me to live the life of Jesus, not just by my own effort, not just by trying so hard, but would you empower me? Would you help me? Would you be my helper? Because I can't do this on my own. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of this series and hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.